I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This week, can I stay in Baltimore for a little while? Just a little while. I want to talk about the NFL, um, Harriet, the film, um, and local politics. Okay, so I just want to share that I am a very fickle football fan. Um, I've talked about this in episodes before, um, not to mention the fact that, you know, the football's approach, the football, the NFL's approach to race and politics in this uh, country, especially its obsession with making it seem as if patriotism means standing for a flag instead of pouring in more resources to uh, veteran support once they get home and abroad, but I digress. Anyway, so there are a number of different reasons that I don't appreciate the NFL. Um, And then just sports in general, for the simple fact, and I've told you, I've said this in episodes before, I am, I have high expectations for um, professional teams. I am very fickle, (laughs) largely my, my support for teams, I should say, is is uh, very loose. Um, it's not very strong. I don't have a strong bond um, to NFL teams or sports teams in general because, mostly because I <laughs> sat at the feet of my dad and um, when I was little, growing, just growing up, we would watch sports and dad would be like, oh, you're getting paid all that money and that's how you plan? Oh, all right. And you know, that rubbed off on me. I don't know if I've ever said that until now, but That is how I grew up. And though I recognize that there was some joy in, you know, dressing up and going out to a sporting event and and just having fun and letting loose and and watching somebody else do their job and comment on them doing their job. I also recognize it's like "Ah, you getting paid regardless, like you getting paid buku dollars regardless. And so I always developed this kind of eh, kind of pessimistic kind of it's whatever attitude about sports. And so what you need to know is I, so I grew up in Kansas City in the Kansas. I, so I grew up at one point we lived in Kansas City and then we moved out to the country. So, um, so I grew up in the Kansas City area, I will just say, and Kansas City, Missouri, middle of America, middle of the United States, rather, um, if you are listening to me outside of these United States, um, anyway, so it's middle of America, Google Kansas City, it's a pretty interesting city. Um, and the metropolitan area. Anyway, so I grew up. Chiefs were the household team. The Chiefs and the Cowboys, but ugh, I think all black people at a certain point grew up loving, like black folks of a certain age just love the Cowboys. I don't know. I can't see it. Like I know Barry Sand, no, Deion Sanders and blah, 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 and all of that. And wait, Deion Sanders was prime time, right? There was somebody else who was a really good running back. Uh, don't get me to lie, and I don't know what his position was, but I know that there was a certain period of time where Dallas was dominating and blah, blah, blah in the 90s. I get it. Nevertheless, so we were Chiefs fans because, you know, we had Chiefs memorabilia, you know, shirts, not jerseys, <laughs> never jerseys, girl. But, um, you know, little sweatshirts, you know, $25 sweatshirts, little caps, you know what I mean? Anyhow, um, so, you know, we would be Chiefs fans, but I just remember... I remember growing up feeling a little jaded because every year we would, uh, we, the, the Chiefs would go to the playoffs, right? But like not go further. 
And so, like, go to the playoffs and, like, maybe tap out at, like, the third, the second round or something, the first or second round, something like that. But we were always, as I was growing up, as I remember it, always go to the playoffs. But, you know, it never really impressed me because I'm like, okay, well, you in the playoffs, you're supposed to be in the playoffs, you're a professional team. Um, and yet here we are, still no championship. So blah, blah, blah. So I become jaded. And then also, you know, the Royals are in the Kansas City area. And when I was growing up, the Royals wouldn't even smell the pennant race. What are you talking about? They were watching the pennant race just like I was at the house. Um, <laughs> so, you know, so I don't know. I kind of grew up jaded. And I was, we weren't in St. Louis where we could root for the Rams who were there at the time. Po babies. Po babies, they moved. Anyway, um, so anyway, I kind of grew up a, like a jaded, fickle fan. Like, I'll root for you if you're winning, but if you're not, I have no allegiance to you because why? Anyway, so long story short, you know, turn of events and school and, and all of that, internships and whatever, I land here in Baltimore in 2008. And... So I, you know, I immediately, I've said this on episodes before, I immediately started to learn as much as I could about this city because I wasn't going to be one of those folk who just moved in, did not get acclimated to the city, did not understand the culture. Uh, I was raised better. Didn't, (laughs) did not know, you know, the ins and outs, the good and the bad. Um, I I wanted to become immersed in the city because I knew I was going to be here for a minute. Anyway, so I'm learning about the city and it's just... You know, as I'm learning about the city, I'm learning very quickly what the industries in the city are um, and what makes the city hum. And one of those is Ravens and the uh, Orioles. Um, so, like, real quick, let me just back up. So, you, you know, you don't know anything about Baltimore. I'm just hip you to some game right quick. So, you, you could Google this information that I'm about to share. But... Um, so Baltimore has a population of just over uh, half a million people. So 602,495 people, right? And for context, it, for U.S. cities, um, L.A. has almost 4 million people. And NYC has almost, has over 8, 8 million people, right? And Philly, one of our nearest neighbors, Philly has 1.5 million and D.C. has just a tick over how, uh, our number for Baltimore. Um, D.C. has 702,455, right? But so that's how many people we have. So it's a mid-sized, it's a mid-sized kind of small, large city. You know what I mean? Um, 30th largest city in the country. Um, so it's not super big. But we're like population dense. We got a small surface area, small space, the independent city itself. So a lot of us are crammed in here, um, making it seem like it's more populated than it is. But that's that's, you know, the population. But let me tell you about the industry. Um, So the industry in Baltimore, again, regardless of what you hear on TV, the largest growing industry is tech. You'd be surprised. There are all these little tech hubs. All these little coffee shops that are that also have hot office space for tech uh, tech companies and upstarts dotted all over the city, all over the city. But the biggest business in the city, without with hands down, is the hospital. And the hospital that I'm talking about is Johns Hopkins Hospital. And the second, so that's the largest employer in the whole city, right? The second largest uh, employer in the city is who? The university. 
what university am I talking about? The Johns Hopkins University, right? So one and two largest employers in the, in the city of Baltimore is Johns Hopkins. And sidebar, Johns was the first name of the guy who the institution is named after. His literal name was Johns with an S on the end. His last name was Hopkins. And anyway, at his death in the, eight, in the late 1800s, he, his will and, and said that basically I want, I want with the money I'm leaving here, I want a hospital built in my name and I want a university built in my name. And from there, arguably, folks will tell you that he revolutionized the way modern medicine basically. Ushered, ushered the world into a new way of thinking about uh, medicine. Anyhow, so Google that on your own time. Um, anyway, but so that's the, the, the biggest business is the, ho- the, uh, the hospital and the university, JHU, right? But then right underneath that, you've got financial, you've got, you've got um, financial companies and then you've got, of course, apparel. So everybody knows that Under Armour is based right here in Baltimore because the I guess he's a former CEO, but now he's still the president. I don't really know. Anyway, the head guy of um, Under Armour is from the Baltimore area, and so he headquartered it right here. Um, and then his brother has some business properties here and blah, 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 and you can Google that too. Um, anyway, so Under Armour, of course, is headquartered here, and then you've got McCormick & Company, which is uh, – Google it. Uh, it's spice That's the spice company. And then you got T. Rowe Price, of course. Um, and then it's also the international headquarters for uh, Lutheran services in, in America and Catholic Relief Services. Um, sidebar – Again, why is it? Why is that? I can't really speak to the Lutheran piece other than I just know that there's a huge Lutheran community here um, and not very far from my house, literally across the street. There's this huge statue of Martin Luther, um, the, the quote unquote great reformer. Um, so there's a huge population there. And I apologize that I, I did not look into why there's a huge population of Lutherans um, in Baltimore, but there just are. And so naturally their headquartered, their services anyway, their um, nonprofit arm is headquartered right here in Baltimore. And then so is Catholic Relief Services. But Catholic Relief Services is different because Baltimore is home to the oldest basilica in the country, period. Catholic basilica in the country. Um, so... I mean, at one point there were more Catholic schools than there were um, any other type of school. Uh, and the Catholic population was huge here in Baltimore. Um, and also everybody knows Baltimore for the killing of the nun and, and the disappearance of her and all of that stuff. And you've watched a documentary about that on um, Netflix. And so you can find that on your own. Um, but anyway, so there's a lot and again, circling back around, not to mention the, the growing, like I said, the growing tech industry that's here, right? So all of these things are happening here. You don't know it because nobody tells you about it because we're a small city and nobody, you know, we're kind of unassuming. And the only thing you hear about is the crime because, duh, that's kind of how it goes. But, you know, the fifth largest industry in this entire city is our sports teams because they employ so many people. So many people right under, you know, of course, Johns Hopkins Hospital and University take over the city. Right. And then you have the businesses that I just mentioned. But then you also have the other universities that are that are housed right here in the city limits of Baltimore. Right. So you have all of those. And then even in the greater metropolitan area, uh, the universities that are there, you, you have all of that. But right underneath all of that the Ravens and the Orioles. 
right? And so you can't throw a rock without hitting somebody that is some way connected to the Ravens or the Orioles or both, right? It's just the way it goes. It's like, it's, of course, you can't throw a rock in, in Baltimore without hitting somebody that's connected to the, to the uh, JHU hospital or the uh, university, right? So anyway, so you have this financial connection to the Ravens and the Orioles, right? But then you also have this kind of spiritual, I'd say it is a spiritual connection to them because what you need to know about sports here in Baltimore is that at one point, Baltimore had a basketball team, a, prof- a professional basketball team, a professional football team, and a um, baseball team, right? So the Orioles have been here since been here, like without question that when, when baseball started to organize itself, um, the Orioles were here. Um, I did not look, and I apologize, I did not look at, as to when the team was established, but I do know that they were here in the early stages of the MLB um, and baseball really becoming organized, right? So the Orioles have been here forever, right? Um, and the Orioles had Babe Ruth, so boop, beat that New York. Um, I mean, you can beat that because he retired there, but anyway. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, so the, the, the Baltimore already always had um, or had the, the Orioles for a very long time. But then at a certain point when the NBA was rising, they had a um, basketball team. And ironically, they were called the Baltimore Bullets. Um, and I imagine that was a reference to trains. I'm hoping that was a reference to trains, chains, trains, and not anything else because, you know, being a railroad is here and it was a, Baltimore was a huge hub for trains, right? But, you know, then in the 70s, I think, 70s or 80s, um, Baltimore Bullets moved away and became, no, 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 it was later than that. It's like the 90s or something, the Baltimore Bullets moved away and became the Washington Wizards and blah, 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 which is why I don't root for that's another reason why I don't root for, um, if you listen to the last episode, I was bemoaning the fact that <laughs> the Nationals won, only because they're right there in, Baltimore, in, in D.C. and I don't care. I don't root for any D.C. team. Um, anyway, um, but anyway, so they moved to, they moved to um, D.C. and then it just left the, um, were they the Browns? They were the Browns when they were here. The Browns football team was Baltimore Browns right here in, in, in Baltimore. But you know how it, you know how it do. Um, an owner gets wants to sell it and, and somebody wants to buy it. And the person that wants to buy it wants to move it because they're going to get more money from a different city. And so that's what happened. The um, Browns moved away, I think, the 80s. They moved away in the 80s to Cleveland. And for years, Baltimore didn't have a professional team, they, a professional football team. So they lost their basketball team. They lost their football team at one point and they only had baseball. Right. So then in the 90s, here come here come the Ravens. Um, they bought the team back from Cleveland. Um, and I think that's how it happened. They bought they bought the team. The, move, the team moved back to Baltimore, um, but they couldn't move back as the, the Browns. They changed the name to the Ravens. I don't know why they changed the name. They just did. And for a while, they left the Browns without anybody, um, which wasn't our problem. And I don't even remember how uh, Cleveland got a team back. Or I don't even know if it was the Browns that, that left them. Maybe it was the Browns 
stayed there and somebody else lost the team. It doesn't matter. But when they were doing the expansion and they were moving teams around anyway, somehow or another, Baltimore got their t- a team and they named this thing the Ravens. I'm um, actually, yeah, I think that's how it happened that the Browns, Cleveland kept, Cleveland kept the Browns and that's why the Ravens had to, the, the Baltimore, Baltimore had to pick another name for a team because it was a brand new it was a brand new uh, team itself. Excuse me. So um, here come the Ravens. So blah, 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 blah. The Ravens are here. They won a Super Bowl championship. Blah, blah, blah. Ray Lewis, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not here. I'm in the Midwest. I'm hating on anybody who's not the Chiefs because I want the Chiefs to win. And if not the Chiefs to win, I want the Oakland Raiders to win because I just love their colors. I have always been a fan of Oakland. I've always been a fan of Oakland Raiders. And sidebar, now that I know that they're moving to Los Angeles, I just don't know. I just don't know. Mm-hmm. Even though I know they moved to Los Angeles, and now they're moving to Las Vegas, pfft, I don't know. Anyway, again, I'm fickle. I don't care. Um, so anyway, so, you know, I don't know a thing about the Ravens. And in fact, I'm confusing. When I'm living in Kansas City, I'm confusing the Ravens with the Falcons, Um, and so I'm just like, okay, well, cool. I'm, you know, when I know that I'm moving to Baltimore, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you know, um, yeah, I'll just, I'll root for this team and hopefully they're better than the Chiefs. You know what I mean? Hopefully they'll go to the playoffs and then they'll like exceed in the playoffs and then maybe we'll get a championship or whatever. I'm open. Um, anyway, so I move here and there's all this fervor. You know, and so again, I move here and I'm learning about Baltimore. I'm learning about all the industry here, all the history here, the black history here, the jazz history here, um, the Chitlin circuit and what that was like and, and the connection between, you know, how black folk would travel along US 1 to get between DC and Baltimore and Philly and even New York just to, you know, keep, you know, sneak up the, the road a piece. And, and that was the main drag. And they had all this whole system of ways to stay safe with each other and all of that stuff. So I'm learning all this information. And I'm also learning that Baltimoreans are real hardcore about their sports, like way more hardcore than I ever imagined. Like I couldn't, I couldn't explain it, but it was just a different fan culture here. Right. And so die whole, die hard Oriole fans, die hard Oriole fans and die hard Ravens fans. Nothing like them. Well, I'm sure that somebody else would argue me down with that, but I hadn't experienced that. Um, I never was in a position to be around folks who were die hard uh, Royals fans or die hard Raven, um, Ch- uh, Chiefs fans. I imagine if I moved back to Kansas City now, that would be different uh, for different reasons, duh. Um, you can look at those teams now and recognize that there's a few big reasons to be excited about them. But anyway, back to Baltimore. So again, I moved to Baltimore and I'm learning this is a different football culture. This is a different baseball culture here. Um, and just understanding that the teams are ingrained in the culture here, period. Um, and the trauma of losing a team only to get it back. And then that when you get that team back in a couple of years, they go big and get a championship. And then Cal Ripken's um, legacy here and on the Orioles and all of that stuff. So so I'm like, OK, well, I'm paying attention. I guess I'll be a different type of fan. I'll be a little less fickle, although, you know, that didn't go away anyway. So I'm paying attention. And when I move here, that is the year that they pick up Joe Flacco. And I'm going to be honest with you, I 
gave Joe the benefit of the doubt in the first year. I was listening to everybody saying, oh, he's fresh out of Delaware State. He's right up the road. You know how people talk. He's right, you know, he's right here, right in our backyard. He knows the area, even though he's from Jersey. He, <laughs> um, but, you know, he's going to be cool and all of that stuff. And, and, you know, just give him a chance. He's going to work out. And I'm just thinking, oh, okay, cool. Well, we'll see. And he gets to the playoffs for the next five years, right? Or he helps lead the team to the playoffs for the next five years. But the whole time I'm side-eyed and I'm like, did he lead the team to these playoff wins? Or was it the defense and a series of fortunate turns of events on the, on the, on the field that led him there? I'm telling you, I was never a fan. Even when I met my husband, um, he was a huge Joe Flacco fan. And I was just like, I'm not... I mean, it's whatever. I don't really see anything. He's not consistent, dude. And, and he was like, oh, people just hating on him. People just hating on him. Wait till November. Wait till November. You know how the season goes. It starts in September and it ends in January. And then, the, you know, the Super Bowl is in. Uh, the playoffs begin in January and the Super Bowl is in February. You know how that goes. Or the end of January, depending on how you see it. Anyhow, um, or the NFL plays it. Anyhow, so, you know, he was among the chorus of folks that would be like, wait till November Joe comes, you know, because he starts his best playing. He does his very best playing in November. And I'm like, but why would you wait till November to to be good? Like, why would you do that? You're getting paid big dollars to be better before that. But anyway, um, <laughs> but again, that's just me. That's just how I am. So anyway. So he's playing and I'm just like, okay, he's still mediocre, but what do I know? And my husband is like, look at the stats, look at the stats. And I'm like, what I know is y'all keep talking about the fact that it's real good to throw 300 yards in a game and above. And he ain't doing that. And if he is throwing that, he ain't completing them. So I don't know what the issue is. Like, I, I don't see it. But anyway, so he takes the Ravens to, in 2013, takes the Ravens to the Super Bowl. And again, I'm just like, I'm not really excited about this dude, but like y'all love him. So it's cool. I love him for you anyway. And then he gets all this money and then he lays a big fat egg for the next few seasons, right up until we let that Bama go last year. And I'm saying we like I really root for the Ravens like that. Hardcore. I don't. I just, you know, it is what it is. It's part of my language now. I say we when I'm talking about the team. Uh, And then my husband corrects me because he's like, are you really a fan? You can't say we. Anyway, um, he does that less often now because I'm excited and I'll get to why. So anyway, so everybody knows Flacco gets gets hurt or whatever. And in midseason, here comes this little this little whippersnapper, um, Lamar Jackson. Um, Looking like a child, (laughs) but playing like he's got heart. Right. Heisman Trophy winner. Right. But. Barely went. Did he go in the first round? He went like at the end of the first round or the beginning of the second round in the drafts. That's how low of an opinion people had about him or that's how little they appreciated him because he's, you know, in college running quarterback, doing all this running and stuff, barely throwing, doing more running, you know, making plays with his feet, but like not really throwing, which is not a skill that people admire. That's not a talent that people admire, or at least the establishment football admire. Um, in a quarterback. And so they admire people who, as my husband says, are pocket passers. So they will stand in the, in the pocket, in the corner, wherever they are, and allow their uh, offensive line to do the work for them, keep the defenders away from them so that they can be precise in their throws, right? That's what they appreciate. Um, so 
you know, and he dazzles. He razzles and dazzles. And I got to be honest with you. I didn't think he was much of anything other than somebody who was exciting because we had lackluster, lackluster Joe for so long that, you know, if you hungry, you give somebody a, a Ritz cracker, you're going to think that's the best Ritz cracker, or a saltine, rather. A saltine, you know what a saltine is. If, you, if you're hungry and you give somebody a saltine, you go slam that thing down because you're hungry. Do you know what I mean? Like, you have nothing else. So you're going to eat the thing that you got, right? So anyway, so I'm like, okay, well, you know, fans have been starving, so maybe he'll, maybe he'll do something. I was just excited because his last name... Um, has, has a special place in my heart. Anyway, um, and that, you know, he was young. He was young. He was a young black boy uh, quarterback. And I'm like, okay, well, cool. Anyway, um, so, you know, they go to the playoffs last year and they don't do jack. Duh. And I'm just like, okay, well, I hope he's better next year. So anyway, flash forward to this season and, you know, some hit some bumps and stuff. And again, I'm super pessimistic. So I'm like, well, we're going to see. We're going to see how this shakes out. Just wait till the next game. And of course, my husband is like, no, no, this is great. He's going to be fine. He just needs some help. He's going to be fine. And all of a sudden, I start seeing flashes of some brilliance. And I'm just like, okay, man. all right. And then all of a sudden, he keeps working even more. Like he keeps sh- working, like moving and shaking. And then, oh, so you don't want him, you say that he can't throw. Well, guess what? I'm fixing to throw. So he begins to throw and complete passes. And then when plays collapse, he creates another play. And he's throwing things sideways and all of that stuff, which I think is still risky. But, you know, what do I know? Um, you're throwing something risky. You're throwing something to the side and this big old wall of a person could take it. But what do I know? Anyway, um, and then he's running, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, you're going to get hit. You are tiny by comparison to these defenders. You are tiny by comparison. But, like, this, this dude is, like, moving and shaking like he's playing basketball, sitting up here juking like he's playing basketball, breaking people's ankles. What the, what the uh, commentator for the last game said, oh, he broke his ankles. in one of those uh, iconic plays that is clearly going to be a part of his highlight reel, clearly the play of, of the week. Um, anyway. So got me excited. Am I still a pessimist? Absolutely. Duh. That's duh. That's a part of my DNA. But I'm excited about this game now. I'm excited about this team now because not only, and herein lies the rub, not only is Lamar, uh, Lamar, Lamar Jackson, um, I forgot his name for two seconds, Lamar Jackson, the quarterback for the Ravens, not, not only is he doing black flips and somersaults to make things happen, but so is the rest of his team. And, he, and it seems as if he's inspiring them. You know what I couldn't stand about Joe Flacco? He was dry as the Sahara. Talking, calling him cool, Joe. No, he personality less, Joe. And no personality, Joe. Like, what is this? Do you know what I mean? Like, how you going inspire half the time sitting to the corner, inspiring no one? You know who else was inspiring folks? Everybody else but him, making everybody else do all the work, but you getting all the dollars? Like, I never respected that. My thing is, at least with this young man, at least, and I'm saying it like I'm super old, but you get what I mean. At least with this young man, he's doing work too. He's working just as hard. And again, I'm not saying, I'm not a football player. I've never played football in my life. You mean to tell you hit me? I don't care if I got pads. I don't care if it was legal. I'm gonna be mad. I'm gonna do something illegal. I'm gonna you know grab your face mask or whatever, and then I'm gonna stomp off the field because I'm hateful. Anyway, 
that's not, I don't do contact sports except for basketball. And even then I get in trouble with fouls, but moving on, um, I don't do football. I'm not, so I get it. I have a, an appreciation for contact sports and sports in general because it takes skill to do it. It takes skill, even though you don't move on the field and you a pocket pass, as my husband says, it, it takes skill to throw that precisely. Like I, I did, what's his name? The tall one from New England, the, the, uh, the quarterback from New, uh, I am talking to myself, um, uh, Brady, uh, Tom Brady. It takes skill, I imagine, a lot of it too, to be precise. And he's had time to perfect that skill. He's also had people to perfect it too. Now, have my husband say it. He's also had referees that helped him perfect it too, but that's beside the point. Um, anyway, that does take skill. And it also takes a very well-trained and well-oiled offensive line to help protect you while you were throwing. Nevertheless, it seems like it takes a lot more skill and a lot more nerve to run and make plays happen when the play that you wanted, the play that you called, collapses. Because somebody missed a tackle, somebody missed a block, somebody missed a cue. Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, a, a smart defender picked up on a cue and then it, you know, coll- you know, whatever the term is for ruining a play on the football field. Anyway, I get all of that takes skill. I get it. But it just seems like it takes more skill to create something out of nothing. And then that seems like what uh, Lamar Jackson is doing. And so I am excited about Raven football. I am not excited about the Orioles right now. I wish they would get them th- those things together. Um, just put me in the, you know, put me in the back room and I will talk to you, Peter Angelos. I will make things. Oh, it's not Peter Angelos anymore, is it? I don't know. I don't know who's back there, but y'all know what I mean. Like, ugh, just put me in the room. I will help um, because I know everything. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, I'm an Oriole. I really enjoy baseball, but I'm really enjoying football right now because of Lamar Jackson and the fact that Colin Kaepernick is getting a tryout soon. Now, this better not be... Um, like a little smoke screen, you know what I'm saying? Just appeasing people. Cause again, you tried it with Jay-Z, like that was really going to do something that was cute for you. But, um, I really hope that it's more than just a little bit, uh, you know, it's more than just a fluke. I hope it's one of those things. Well, whereas they're like, okay, well, shoot, look at this little Lamar doing just like what, um, Colin did. And look at the success that the Ravens are getting. Look how much of a beast the Ravens are now. Let me see about this young man who, I mean, according to him, he, you know, he's, he's been out of the league for three years, but he's, he's still in, he's still fighting weight. He's still ready to go. So we're going to see. But like NFL teams would be a fool not to pick him up because I got some sor- sorry quarterbacks, some sorry quarterbacks um, that are playing in the league right now. So, Hoping they pick up Colin, and I'm hoping that this is a new era. This is a new day. I mean, come on. If you're trying to make money, at least be smart about it. Like, that whole anti-black stuff that they're doing, like, they don't say it's anti-black, but it's totally anti-black, and it's totally just dumb. Talking about we hate the police. That's not it, and you know it. You, you know that's never been it, but you're just trying to get that loot from all those rich white men who are too scared to run afoul to... to, to um the parties that be and the, and the powers that be right now. Um, and so anyway, I'm hoping that they can 
get different money because it's about the money at the end of the day. Get you some different money. Get you, you know, act like you got some values and some morals. Anyway, so I'm hoping that things change a little bit. So NT way. So that's football. I apologize for spending so much time on a sport that you probably don't care about. Don't care about at all. But I'm just excited because at the end of the day, I just Twitter tells me everything. I keep up, uh, keep up with sports because my husband is a sports fan. And that's one of those things you got to do. You, your partner, like he keeps up with stuff that I care about that I know he doesn't care about, but he does it anyway. And I love him for it. And so this is what I do. I keep up on sports and things and I find reasons to talk about it and get excited about it. And I'm excited about football right now. Anyway. All right. So let me take a break. And then when I come back, I'm going to talk about Harriet And then I'm going to finish by talking about local politics. Okay, so I'm going to stay in for Baltimore for just a second and then I'm going to switch to Harriet. I promise I'm I'm just going to dip here for a second. All right. So the last thing I want to say about Baltimore is that this local this election for the 7th district is shaping out to be something interesting. So just just a quick recap, as you know, back in um, uh, middle of October, I think the 17th or so, um, Elijah Cummings died, right? Um, and it, due to complications with cancer, he, he passed away. He was in hospice in um, Johns Hopkins Hospital. Um, and I'm not 100% sure if he was on his deathbed or not, but while he was in hospice, he was certainly... It's reported that he was certainly still doing business, conducting business as a congressperson and certainly uh, signing things as it relates to these impeachment hearings that are happening today. Um, And at the time of this recording, or at least by the time you're listening to it, it'll be day two of the public impeachment hearings for the president of the United States. So anyway, so, you know, in that time, you know, how you know how it is. Politics are, you know how they are. So people were whispering, well, who's going to take a spot? Who's going to take a spot? And in that time, in the days following his passing, but before his internment, you know, his funeral, you know, he was being, he was going to be funeralized, lie in state, and then interred. Um, they were talking about, I, I was hearing whisperings about who was going to run. And Maya Rocky Moore Cummings, his widow, came up. But, you know, and, and, and that was the only name I heard. I didn't hear anybody else's name until after he was funeralized and interred. Um, and I forgot where he was, he was laid to rest. I can't call where he's laid to rest. I think he's laid to rest here in Baltimore. Anyhow, um, so anyway. So, so yeah, so I had heard about uh, Maya Rocky Moore Cummings. And I initially thought, I mean... You know, it's not the first time that the widow of a congressperson has run for their position and won it. This isn't this isn't something out of the ordinary. And if you, you know, couples tend to have the same politics. So they tend to think of things in similar ways. And so, you know, depending on, you know, depending on how she played it, like she might be a good candidate. But anyway, so, I, you know, you let the weeks pass. He's interred and, you know, people begin to talk about what's got to happen next. Um, And so, you know, if you're not from 
the United States, which many of you aren't who are listening to this episode. And if you're not from Maryland, which also many of you are not who listen to this show, um, the way it works in the state of Maryland. And I, again, I don't know how it works in other states in the United States, but how it works here in Maryland is that if a sitting congressperson passes in the middle of the term or whatever, um, the governor has to elect, uh, hold a special election within so many days to fill that vacant seat so that a person can serve out the rest of that, uh, the decedent's term. And then they have a chance to run again for that same position or that same, yeah, that same position. Anyway. So, and I think in the state of Maryland, I think it's 40 days from their passing 60 days, 90 days, something like that. Anyway, the elections were announced that they're going to be in January, I believe. And so right after the announcement, boom, up pop a bunch of people talking about that they were going to run. And um, so this week, um, this week, a uh, couple of days before the airing of this episode, um, Maya Rockingmore Cummings, Elijah Cummings' widow, announced that she was stepping down as the head of the Democratic Party for the state of Maryland, um, which she assumed when, um, two years ago, when uh, Governor Hogan won by a landslide the governorship for the state of Maryland because it was just a... We did not put up good. Democrats of this state did not put up good candidates against him, and there was no reason for him not to win election again. So anyway... um, so so anyway, so she took on the head of the Democratic Party for the state um, after two years ago. And so she announced earlier this week that she was going to step down as that chair and then she was going to run for her husband's, her late husband's um, seat. And then before that, uh, former NAACP president and also the person who held uh, Elijah Cummings, the, the held the seat for the seventh um, before Elijah Cummings took over. Um, two decades ago, Kwasi Mfume said that he was going to run um, and that he was good friends with Elijah and that he was going to continue his good work and that he had done a good job since he took over the spot and now he wants to go, you know, continue his legacy by doing, you know, taking over the spot again. And then uh, either before Maya Cummings, Rocky, uh, Rocky Moore Cummings announced her bid or around the same day, um, Elijah Cummings staff person, Harry Spikes, announced that he was going to run for that seat too. And it's just interesting that all of these people are running. And in fact, I will tell you that there are 10 Democrats running for Elijah's seat and three Republicans. And so I just said, Meyer Rocky Moore Cummings, Harry Spikes. Uh, so Meyer Rocky Moore Cummings, his widow, Harry, Sp- Harry Spikes, his former staff person, and Kwaizin Fume, um, his former friend, are all running for that seat, plus 10, 10 Democrats and three Republicans. 16 people are running for that one spot. And the only thing that I'm thinking of is I hope y'all have connections to Baltimore because that's the only way that you're going to get anything from us. And why I'm saying connections to Baltimore, I'm not talking about past connections to Baltimore. I'm talking about what have you done for Baltimore lately connections to Baltimore, because let us be real. Maya Rocky Moore has, in my opinion, has the best chance because of her proximity. She's the head of the Democratic Party in the state of Maryland. She lives in Baltimore. They have a home in Baltimore and they live there. Do you know what I mean? Her and her uh, late husband, right? But she's still got to prove herself. She still definitely have to, has to prove herself. Um, so she's got some things to come, you know, to, to deal with. But Harry Spikes, 
Okay, you were his staff person. You were his staffer. How do you have a bigger claim than, than his wife? Like, what have you done other than did what Elijah did? Like, what is your platform? What are you talking about? Why do you think you deserve this seat, this powerful seat, and then this big responsibility? Because let's not forget, Elijah Cummings presided, uh, presided over one of the most challenging districts in the state of Maryland, I dare say in most parts of the country. He, so it's my neighborhood. So the, the seventh includes my neighborhood, which is all right. But then it also includes um, Gilmore Homes and West Baltimore, which ain't all right. Um, needs a lot of help, very economically depressed, lots of resources that are needed in that area. So what are you going to do for that area? I know you want to step in and be all, you know, you want to be the top dog and stuff like that. But like, come on, you need to show some real stuff. And I'm just like, what is his staffer? What does his, his staffer have to offer? Furthermore, what does Kwayazian Fume have to offer? You gave up that seat. You gave that. You haven't been in that seat for over two decades, probably three at this point. And almost three at this point, and you were the head of the NAACP. You have lived some lives. And last time I checked, didn't you leave the NAACP under, like, wasn't it a scandal or something that made you step down? I'm not 100% sure. But my point is, like, why do you want, the, well, I know why you want the seat, but, like, why do you think you deserve it? What are you going to do? What have you done in the time that since you've been out of that, that seat and since you haven't been um, the head of the NAACP, what you been doing, baby? What you been doing uh, for Baltimore specifically uh, and Baltimore County, because let's, let's, let's not forget, it also includes the seventh also includes parts of Baltimore County. Um, so, yeah, I just I think 16 people have filed paperwork saying that they're running 16 people, I think. Yeah, yeah 16. I, well, I'm not 100 percent if. Maya Harry and Kwaezi are included in the 10 Democrats. I just know that they're Democrats and I know that people pulled them out. So it could be that it's just 13 people. But my point is that's a whole lot of candidates for one seat. And there's a whole lot of responsibility that comes with that one seat. And I hope they're ready for it. Um, I hope whomever wins that seat is ready for it because Elijah certainly was. And when I tell you, you don't need me to tell you the people of Baltimore love them some Elijah. I did. I certainly did. I saw him all the time. And I said this before. I saw uh, a couple episodes ago when he passed. I saw him so much. He was accessible and he was doing work. And I appreciated him for that. So anyway, they got some big shoes to fill. Um, And the last thing I'll say about local politics before I move on is that, girl, do you know that Stephanie Rawlings Blake, the mayor of the city at the time of the uh, Freddie Gray incident when he was murdered, and the riot, the subsequent riots, she was the mayor at the time. She, what you need to know is she took over. And I've said this, I've said this on episodes before. Um, but at this point, it's almost been, maybe I started, I said it at the top of the year. I'm not really sure. Um, anyway, um, yeah, she took over from ousted mayor Sheila Dixon, who got caught up in those uh, gift card uh, gift card scandal, scandal right? So uh, Stephanie Rawlings Blake took over for her and finished her term, right? Then she ran for election and in her own right, and she won it, right? And then she did not run for re-election. Why? Because honestly, the prevailing thought was that she wasn't going to win it. Because again, the very last things that happened in her term, the last year of her term, was the Freddie Gray riot. So she quietly quietly said I'm gonna step to the rear 
um, and let y'all have that. So I really, I hope she's, she, they said that she's thinking about running uh, for the seventh. I hope she thinks about something else. Cause I just, I, I, I've been here for over 11 years, 12 years at this point. Um, well, it will be 12 years in February. And I still feel like I'm, I feel like I'm growing closer to Baltimore every day, but I also feel like I still, there's like, I don't quite have a finger on the pulse of what folks are thinking. Um, I am interested to hear what they think of what the city and my neighbors think about my Rocky Moore Cummings. I mean, I haven't heard anything yet. It's still very new. I want to know what they're thinking about Kwasi and Fume. I know he has huge connections to Morgan, which is down the street from where I live. Um, so I'm wondering what they're saying. NAACP is across town. Oh, by the way, the NAACP is headquartered where? Baltimore. So you see what I'm saying? Like, look at Baltimore beyond the headlines. Go search Baltimore. There's a lot of stuff happening here. A lot of things that are headquartered here. A lot of people are from here. You know, Frank Zappa spent some time here. Tori Amos, all that stuff. But anyway, I digress. Um, anyway, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I want, I want to put my ear to the ground and hear what they're talking about because I would think Kwasi and Fume will give Maya Rocky Moore Cummings a run for her money, but that she would win out. That Harry Spice should go sit down in a corner and that most folks who are running for this seat, who have filed for this paperwork, really ought to sit down. But what do I know? Do you know what I mean? What do I know? Um, so we'll see. We'll see how that shakes out. All right. Anyway, let me switch your gears one more time. Final time. I want to talk about Harriet. And um, I talked about this a couple of episodes ago. Um, and I talked about it more so about the controversy that was surrounding it, specifically the controversy that was surrounding Cynthia Erivo. And but what I need to share today is that it's back on my movie list. And let me tell you why. Um, so, again, maybe a year ago, maybe when the movie was first announced that it was going to be made and that Cynthia Erivo was going to star as Harriet, almost immediately people began to side eye her, at least black Twitter began, folks on black Twitter began to side eye her talking about, oh, she anti-black, she anti-black American. And just for you all that don't recognize, don't know what I'm talking about. So there is this thing within the diaspora. If you are uh, Afro-Latino or excuse me, Afro-Latinx, if you are from um, the continent of Africa, a country on the continent of Africa, or you are from other countries, but you're a part of the diaspora, there is this thing where it's kind of it, it's kind of under the guise of respectability politics, but it's a little bit deeper than that, because respectability politics says, oh, don't act ghetto, don't act country, don't act uncivilized, act like you got some sense, a.k.a. act like white people for the most part, act like them, speak like them, dress like them so that you can get ahead so that you won't be victimized in any way so that you won't be um so that you will get what you deserve if you just act right you will you they'll have to respect you but what we know is that that's not true we know that up quote-unquote upright black citizens have still been have still had to fight just like quote-unquote ghetto or country or too uncivilized depending on where you are in the country you know if you're in the united states you're ghetto right or if you're from a country in, in Africa, uh, perhaps, you know, you're too, 
you're too backward or something like that. There's always some sort of behavior that's perceived as not appropriate around black, uh, around non black folk. Um, across the diaspora. And if you want to get ahead, you need to act like white people. It's a conversation that's had. I know it's a conversation that it's had be outside of the United States. Not that I'm an expert, but in the times that I've gone, you know, the time I've spent in South Africa, the time I've spent in Guyana, or Guyana, not Guyana, uh, Guyana, you know, that's part of the culture. Just, oh, you know, you know, act like them for a second, get their, get their money. They being white people. And I've heard, I promise you, I've heard it, not just in my black family, but in other black families that I've run into, it's the name of the game for a lot of folks. And that's part of respectability politics. But deeper than that, respectability politics is anti-blackness in a lot of different ways. Folks who practice it, folks who swear by it, don't see it that way. And they don't certainly, they certainly don't say respectability politics. What they'll say is, this is the way you got to act. This is the way of life, right? But people who know better, or at the very least, people who reject that, call it respectability politics and recognize baby it doesn't matter how you act they see us as lesser than anyway so it doesn't matter it doesn't matter so just be you right and embrace our heritage embrace our culture all its flaws and all its beauty all its ugliness too anyway so there's this game that we play in the diaspora where we pick on folks they call it a lot of times they call it diaspora wars where we pick on folks who are from different countries than us, but are still in the diaspora. And we talk about how they trash and they, you know, they are not good representations of us in the diaspora. Right. And so uh, a lot of people that gave Cynthia Revo flack for playing, portraying a black person, uh, our black hero, Harriet Tubman. If you are not from the United States, what you need to know is Harriet Tubman Tubman is a significant black figure for black folk across the United States. She look her up, Harriet Tubman. She and so Frederick Douglass did so much. They put their literal bodies on the line to save the people that they cared about, their families, their friends from to help them escape to freedom with the help of other people, of course, but nevertheless, they put their physical bodies on the line to get people out of slavery and then fight against it at every turn, right? And so she is an important black historical figure because she is known for trying to save people and saying, listen, when we start this journey, you're either going to finish this journey or I'm going to kill you if you try to go back. Because what's not, not going to happen is you're not going to jeopardize the rest of the people that I'm trying to save, too. And you're certainly not going to jeopardize me. I ain't going back to slavery. So if you want to go back, just know you're going to get this shotgun. So if you're going to come with me, you better be able to finish the deal, baby. You better be able to finish the whole thing because you're not going back. Not on my watch and you're not going to jeopardize us. And so she literally traveled with a shotgun. And I remember hearing that story when I was a, a child like a little child and, and shotgun and all. So anyway, and she's been a historical, she's been like a hero, like a big time hero or a hero. Cause maybe you shouldn't say hero, but a hero. Um, cause hero isn't gendered. It's just hero. She has been a hero for black folks and little people. Um, time in memoriam because of her bravery, because of her sacrifice. Right. And so if you're going to portray her, you better, 
You better have some steel. You better have some ice in your veins because people are going to come for you if you don't get it right. And when I was in Syracuse, what I remember is that I befriended a person who, sidebar, she she was going through some stuff. Um, I think at the time she was she was a lesbian, but she was closeted. So her mother didn't know. Um, and she really wasn't open about telling folks about who her love was. Um, but it was clear to me as thick headed as I am, it was clear to me that she was a lesbian, but I didn't want to. So I knew it, but it wasn't my place to tell her that I knew it. So I just let her ride. Um, but anyway, but my point in bringing her up is that she was in Syracuse for a while only because her people lived there, but that she had been in Minnesota playing Harriet Tubman for years and that she had an opportunity to go back and then she might go back. Um, and so anyway, so she did a fierce Harriet Tubman and she did a fierce Harriet Tubman because number one, she respected the legacy. Number two, she knew she needed, she knew she needed to portray her as fierce but not try to overdo it because people were going to come for her if she didn't get that portrayal in a way that black folk respected. And so it was, again, it's serious. When I tell you, when people are particular about her likeness and how her image is portrayed, we're serious about it. And by people, I'm talking about black Americans. And so anyway, so so this movie comes up and they're talking about Cynthia Revo, and then some people to bolster their case about how Cynthia Revo's anti-black, they start sharing tweets of hers that feel like she's telling a bad joke, but don't necessarily feel anti-black to me. Like I didn't feel like that they were a huge deal, but at the same time, the way they made it sound was that, oh, there's more where this came from. She's real anti-black. She does not like black Americans at all. And Cynthia Erivo, for what you don't know, she's black British. She's a black British actress. And when this was announced, you know, people were mad. Samuel L. Jackson and other people were a little bit frustrated that here come these black British actors who are taking over roles for black Americans. And there was this feeling that, oh, here you come taking our jobs. But again, is that really that big of a what they're coming over here because they don't have opportunity on their own soil. And that is a that is a sentiment that I only recently heard from, uh, I think it was Jay from Queen, uh, Tea with Queen and Jay, who shared, you know, just like black folks were going to Europe to get opportunities to show their talent and get some accolades because they weren't getting it here in the United States. That's kind of what's happening. It feels like that's what's happening from these black British actors who are coming to the United States to get work because they're not getting the play that they deserve at home. So they're coming here because they're getting play. And so, you know, there's a conversation about let us make space for that and all of that stuff. I never thought it was a big deal. I like Daniel Kaluuya. I think he's beautiful. And Idris Elba is beautiful. And anyway, so, and you know, so here comes Cynthia Erivo, who did very well on Broadway, has done very well on Broadway and start, you know, uh, she was announced to play Harriet. Um, and people were saying, oh, she's anti-black. And that was from the beginning. And then she, as a way to defend herself, started making statements that hindsight is twenty twenty, right? But at the time, the statements that she was saying, well, I'm not going where and you're going to have to deal with it. I'm playing Harriet and that's final. The way she was defending herself in the face of folks saying that she was anti-black, 
they were, it was kind of portrayed as she was spending more time talking about the fact that she got this role and she deserved it than she was defending the fact that she's not anti-Black American. Um, and so that's kind of how it was left. That's kind of how it was portrayed. Flash, flash forward to today, it's released, modern, modern day. So this month it's released and she's not, it's doing okay, but like, it's not getting the play that it deserves. And there's a lot of feedback coming out where people are saying, oh, this this film is not as good as you think it is. They're adding things where it's not. They're making it. They're trying to suggest that there's a there's a love uh, happening between Harriet and her master um, who's chasing after her. And they're trying to make it seem like they're in love and all of that stuff. And come to find out, I'm listening to uh, T with Q and J who watched it. And I listened to... Um, uh, uh Marsha's plate and they they watched it and Diamond is talking about y'all some liars y'all misrepresenting y'all lying on the truth there is no love interest there's one moment that is a little weird but for the most part she's portrayed as fierce she's not portrayed as no punk um she's the movie is good like y'all are playing the movie is good this is Harriet this is our hero um this is a good representation of Harriet. Cynthia Erivo did what she was supposed to do. Jay from uh, T with Q and Jay said she did what she needed to do with the material. Um, and the trailer did not serve this movie any justice. It made it seem like Harriet was a little bit weak. Nah, she wasn't weak. This movie was good. And Cynthia Erivo did, her, did the thing. Um, so anyway, I know that there's some truth in the middle there. I know that what I know about social media and Twitter culture is that people like to be the like to jump on something. And even if it means that they haven't done their due diligence and they haven't done their research, they're still going to try to make something happen just so they can be the first to do it and get a lot of credit for it, get a lot of views, get a lot of clicks and all of that stuff. So and then sometimes people will take somebody else's word for it and then run a country mile with it. So I just... I don't know. I am. I, it's back on the table for me. I did not want to see it. I had I was turned off from it, despite having gone to the Congressional Black Caucus and went to a Q&A with the director um, that was headed up by Michael Eric Dyson. And one or two of the actors from the film was actually in it. Um, they were in D.C. back in September. And anyway, like it was just so interesting for me. So interesting because it was like a piece of me was like, oh, okay, well, this is going to be great. And I love me some Harriet. But at the same time, I'm hearing, oh, don't watch this because it's a travesty. And I'm just like, well, shoot, what am I to do? So I don't know. I think I let some of the feedback from some of those folks that are quote unquote woke um, get the best of me. And now I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed to admit that, but I'm going to go back to the theaters. Um, I'm, it's back on my list. I'm going to watch it and I'm going to figure this thing out for myself. Um, and this is a lesson to me because so far, a lot of these woke folk who claim they're woke, they just be talking sometimes. And I'm peeping game now and I'm realizing some of them don't even do their, their research. They're just kind of repeating what somebody else said and then embellishing it because they are smart and they're embellishing it with facts and figures about other things and assigning meaning that same meaning to this one thing they're talking about. Um, and that can be frustrating and it's very misleading. And so I'm going to see it. Do I think it's going to be great? I hope so. Cause again, I have a high standard for 
how I want Harriet to be portrayed because again, that's my hero. That's my hero. I remember hearing about her from as a little girl. I was excited when they said that she was going to be on the $20 bill here. I hope she actually gets put on the $20 bill. Andrew Jackson can suck it. Um, needs to be removed. I don't know why he's on there, but what, well, I do know why he's on there because, you know, white folks like to honor or at least racist white people like to honor other racist white people. Um, yep. And so, of course, in the 1900s, he was a, you know, a historical figure. And so they put him on there and blah, 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 blah. But he needs to be taken off now. Um, so anyway, so I hope I, I hope to watch that soon along with um, Dr. Sleep because I still haven't watched Dr. Sleep, y'all. I'm, it's on my list. It's on my list. I'm watch. I'm going to watch it this weekend, I think. (laughs) I'm going to watch it this weekend. And I'm going to find Harriet. I'm going to watch that, too, at one of these black-owned theaters here. And, yeah, maybe get a a group of us going and see how I like it. And I will come and share my feedback about it. But, um, yeah. Anyway, all right. That is it for now. I talked a lot. This episode is a little long. um, But I hope it was interesting for you. Um, anyway, so if you like this episode, definitely give it a, give it a thumbs up on anywhere where you, uh, listen to this show, please. If you don't want to give it a thumbs up, don't give it anything. Um, also, if you want to talk about anything I talked about, if you want to talk about football, specifically Joe Flacco versus Lamar Jackson and how I think Joe Flacco was trash, always trash. And he got benefited of the doubt for being mediocre. Um, or you want to talk about how excited you are about Lamar Jackson, leave me a little message. Um, within the app, all you have to do is you click the link, press the button, leave me a message, and we can talk from there. Um, and while you are on my page, uh, feel free to leave me a donation if you wish. Even 99 cents will be a helpful contribution. But if donations aren't your thing because you don't want to do that, just share the episode with anybody that you think would be interested in it. Um, Definitely the, as told by God, if you're into jazz and you're into experimental filmmaking, definitely share that one. That was an early episode um, from February, I think, when I saw the release of the film. Um, Kamasi Jackson, actually, the saxophonist from Oakland, I think he did that. Um, that would that it be interesting. Definitely take a peek at that. Um, any of my uh, Black American folklore stories, folklore stories, but uh, scary stories my daddy told me. Listen to those episodes. Um, please note that, or the Out of Africa episodes from last year, where I talk about um, my people on my dad's side and our and our lineage, and my people on my mom's side and, and our lineage there. Um, for Thanksgiving, just as a heads up, I am definitely going to be releasing um, an episode about as an update to our family cemetery. Remember, I told you that there was some foolishness that happened with our family cemetery back in, on Glendora Plantation in Monroe, Louisiana. And so I'm going to update that. Uh, I promise it's going to be interesting. I promise it won't be boring. Um, yeah, so I'm going to release that on uh, Thanksgiving and... Yeah, so stay tuned for that. But until then, just kind of look at, listen to my other episodes, share them. A lot of y'all are sharing the uh, episode about um, Watchmen and also uh, about Dr. Sleep. Again, if you've watched the movie, I hope you also subsequently got the book because the book is real good. Um, And yeah, please no spoilers. Uh, Well, actually, I know how the movie's gonna go. So 
don't worry about the spoilers. If you want to leave me a message about what you thought about the movie, especially as it related to the book, leave me that message and we can talk about it. Um, yeah, but until then, um, yeah, be sure to rate me favorably on CastBox, Pocket Cast, Player FM, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or wherever you listen to this show. Thank you so much for listening. Um, I just recorded a new trailer for the episode, so listen to that. I hope you like it. Um, share it if you wish on Twitter or social media, whatever. Thank you so much. All right. Until next time.